This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Carl Michael Metcalf is a outfitter in Western Colorado. His outfit is called 7T Outfitters. And I got a hold of Carl because of Bo Nickel. And I want to have a conversation with Carl because of the dynamic wildlife landscape that is happening in Western Colorado right now. And specifically, just get his thoughts. He's been in the game for 20, 30 years. Get his thoughts to changes in wildlife, changes in public access, influence of social media, and naturally, what his thoughts are to the wolf reintroduction in Colorado. So, enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. thing is part of life these days isn't it it is it is you know you just gotta you know certain people react really well to emails and certain people you got to send them a text message or even go old school and give them a phone call huh yeah i've found that a lot of the clients i deal with are my age and older and it's sort of funny how many email you know they're they're all about you sending them an email but it's amazing how many of them they miss they just, they just don't catch them. You know what I mean? It's like, I sent that to you three times, man. <laughs> yeah, my excuse is, I don't know what it is about our email address. Maybe it's the blood 
component of the email address. I don't know, but we end up in spam and promotional emails in the promotion section all the freaking time. Bees. Anyway, anyway, are you, are you, did you get affected by that massive snowstorm? You know, it didn't hit us as bad as it did some of our neighbors in Utah. And if you go a little, we're sort of in a weird little banana belt here. I think it has to do with the, the Book Cliff mountain range and a, and a couple other ranges in Utah that uh, help wring out a lot of the moisture before it mm. can get here or, or, and or divert it. Um, so no, we, I mean, we've had one heck of a winter. I think I'm, I live right on the Colorado river. My house is about 30 yards off the river. So we, we get to watch how, how the river's affected, right? Th- mm. In the, in the spring of the year. And, um, I think they said that the, the upper Colorado river basin is at 140 or 145% of, uh, of normal. Of snowpack. So, yeah, man. And it's amazing. Just, yeah, I'm not an old guy, but I'm I'm I've lived here since I was 15. I'm 50, I'll be 52 this summer, and I've never seen uh, I've never seen a winter, at least right, I mean right here in in our town. Like what this, did it do this for? Winter. What did it do for wildlife, Carl? It's hammered them. Really? Yeah, yeah. And here's what it is: um, is the rain. We've had these rain events throughout the 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 winter and uh, you're a smart guy you you're around wildlife you're a hunter and and all that um when those animals uh you know when they get the snow on them they can stand up and shake it off and (laughs) but when when they get wet and then they're trying to to feed or when they bed down and their hide um freezes to the ground right you got it buddy jeez yeah yeah, it's been terrible. They look horrible. And we're, I don't know if it's a blessing or not, but we, about, a, about once a week, the elk cycle through our, our, our ranch and then some of the properties that I run my upland game bird hunts on. And um, they look terrible. Uh, we sort of kind of gauge the health of an elk. And I don't know if this is biology or, you know, rancher voodoo, but. They, they, when they go into the fall of the year, you kind of look at that round rump, <laughs> rounded rump. And as the winter progresses, that will start to kind of cave in, if you will. And <laughs> by the spring of the year, if, the, if that, right, right where their hide changes color around their tail, if that's dished in really bad, coupled with really bad looking um, quality of their hide, their hair. And obviously, it's too early yet for them to be shedding. Um, you know that they're struggling, right? They've gotten through their fat reserves, they're into their muscle, and they're getting into that. Um, oh, I can't remember what they call it. It's like a bone marrow fat content or something. It's, it starts to affect, and then they're, once they kind of get into that, that level of malnutrition, um, they'll, they'll die, you know? <laughs> we'll call Metcalf. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I love how randomly people get brought into our lives. You got randomly brought into our lives by a mutual f- mutual friend who's about to have his UFC debut, Mr. Bo Nickel. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to visit with you, sir. Oh, man, we are, we are the ones that are excited. You know, it's a, the, the whole point of Blood Origins is to talk to people, listen to people's stories, uh, have hard-hitting intellectual conversations about this thing that we love so much. And uh, just from the first three minutes, I know that we're going to have the same thing with you. Well, I appreciate that. Carl, give us a little bit of background, who you are, where you are currently residing, what you do. Yeah, my name is, uh, again, Carl, Carl Michael Metcalf. Um, I am a uh, multiple business owner. My wife and I have a property management company um, that covers everything from building maintenance to habitat improvements and pond building and river work and all things outdoorsy. Um, we have an outfitting company. We provide hunts for big game predators and then upland game bird hunting and dog training. Um, and uh, we own a coffee shop. <laughs> and yeah, and Bo and I and another gentleman by the name of David Gitlitz are about to launch a, a wellness um, recovery cosmetic line uh, kind of a company here in the, in the next two months, hopefully we'll get this thing in the air, but, uh, yeah, so a lot of things going on here at the Metcalf house. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Hunter all your life. Did you grow up hunting? You, you said you grew up in this ranch, this place that you're at right now in the Colorado, like, you know, 30 yards from the Colorado, Colorado river since you was 15. Yeah. Great question. I, I did. Um, I'm Cajun. My folks, uh, we're the first a uh, group of individuals to live outside of Louisiana since uh, since our, I guess you'd call my uh, relatives um, were pushed down into that part of the world. So we grew up we grew up hunting and fishing. That's just a way of life for uh, for for my family and I, we always refer to it as our people. But Cajuns uh, mm -hmm. are sort of kind of a little I don't even know what you want to call us, but uh, I guess a different group of people mostly poor people so yep they um, live off the land they live off the land so there you have it and um what what took you guys out of louisiana to colorado in the in the 80s my dad um he was doing security work he was a vietnam vet so he was doing security work in louisiana and he was trapping and uh and fishing to to take care of the family and he had an opportunity to get on a project here in Western Colorado for Union 76. It was a, an oil shell development project. There's a, they call it the Naval Oil Shell Reserve. It's a, in a mountain range referred to as the Roan Plateau and the Book Cliffs, big mountain range here in Western Colorado. That's, I, I think there's somewhere in the neighborhood of a, I don't remember, billions of barrels of petrified petroleum. So, uh, yeah, we moved up here and my dad, uh, Got us out of got us out of Louisiana and and came up here and we've been here since. So very thankful for for that. I'm I'm very blessed to have grown up here in western Western Colorado. Although things are changing at light speed, it's it's still a it's still a, a really good place to be. Call uh, I know Cody would uh, kill me if I didn't ask this question because he's a huge. He lives in um, Florence, Colorado. He's the guy who runs the podcast, one of the podcasts with me. Um, any good fly fishing in that Colorado River that's 30 yards from your house? You know, the fly fishing at times can be 
Oh, I guess okay. Our this river down here is is more um, uh, susceptible to uh, silt and mud and all that. So mm. our our fishing conditions change, and which equates to um, water temperature and pH changes. And I'm geeking out on you. So the fish we don't have a like if you head up towards Glenwood Springs, about forty miles up the road. Great. The water quality's better. There's a lot more rock in the country up there and they don't get the mud flows. But the fishing down here is really good with big rapalas and big string. You gotta get deep because they're they're gonna mm. they're gonna be a little deeper in the in around the thermocline. But great, great brown fishing, good sized browns if you can get into them. So oh, yeah, it's a kick and it's a kick, man. It's a lot of fun. Amazing, amazing. So what um you know, one of the things I'm interested in is to talk a little bit about wildlife. And you're in the in the ranching outfitting game. How long have you been in the ranch? No, dare I just say outfitting? It's not called. It's not called it ranching, but in the outfitting game. And I assume you outfit both on your property as well as privately leased areas. I do. <laughs> just I have gesticulating uh... to your to whoever to stay out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um... The, um, we, we ran some cattle for a long time. So we played in the ranching business for about 15 years. I've, I guess I started outfitting my wife and I've been together for 30 years. So when I was in my twenties, uh, her dad ran a big elk camp and it was in it was Colorado, in Colorado. Yes, sir. And, um, so started hunting out of that camp and it, it you know, he had to charge, right? Because he had cooks and food and all that jazz. So to offset that, uh, I started guiding for him. And uh, then I, I didn't have to pay to, to hunt out of his camp. So been been out, been guiding since, geez, like I said, probably about the age of 22. And then um, because I'm in estate management, property management, uh, some of my clients own some pretty good chunks of ground. And uh just sort of found my way over the last decade, um, getting more and more into the 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 outfitting game, but on a very uh, boutique kind of a scale. Um, and and what I mean by that is just I'm not into the big numbers, and we're not into big giant animals either, right? Just really nice quality hunts, and and really trying to hunt with people that are interested in the sustenance side of hunting, the mm -hmm. old school mindset if you will of putting putting up every part of the animal right harvesting and appreciating the whole thing so i've been doing it pretty much my whole life and really put a, a fine point to it over the last few years so uh yeah that's i guess that's sort of the short version of that Cole, do you have an opinion of where the hunting industry is today in terms of its um let me i don't know what the right adjective is here, but it's sort of predilection to trophy to ensuring that you are successful. You know, that's funny. You, you've asked me that. I've been having a lot of conversations with my wife and one of my really good friends about this subject. And uh, Bo and I have had many a discussions about this. I think the hunting industry, I, I teach hunters education as well for the state of Colorado. So I've been watching the numbers change um, demographically and, and numerically, right? 
Um, uh-huh. And I'm, I'll be honest with you. I have a, I have a, a, I have a tough time with the social media side of what guys are trying to do for hunting. Um, I don't think the numbers are, are really well at this point, right? More people are moving away from that type of a lifestyle. And I don't know if it's, if it's a cultural thing as much as it is just uh, an accessibility uh, to land or a place to process meat or I don't know what it is, but it's definitely changing here in Western Colorado growing up. There were part, there were towns here that right as hunting season was starting, man, it was, it was awesome. The division of wildlife would set up tents to welcome in hunters stores would stock up in anticipation of selling more food and you know everything and you don't, you don't, you don't think really that's see, happening anymore not as much at least around here as it used why? to why uh, like i said i think a lot i don't know that there's are there no animals anymore or the access no, is gone or? It's, no it's i think there's a couple of things that i think that like i said i think culturally i don't know if there's this, i don't know what the numbers are seems like not as many people are hunting and we're losing more and more uh, access to to land. You know, um, I'm very blessed, right? I've got leased land, and if I didn't have leased land, uh, the areas that I used to hunt, the public the public ground that I used to hunt, there are there isn't any game in the, there anymore. Uh, when you go up to some of those areas I grew up hunting, buddy, there's there's so many hunters running around in those little patches of ground anymore. You're lucky if you see anything, much less harvest anything. So, well, isn't that that's but that's contradictory to what you just said, though. You said that you think that there's less hunters, but in those public areas, there's more hunters. Well, no, but I but those public areas are smaller, as as what I'm saying. So you've got these concentrated groups of hunters, is what I, I apologize. I didn't explain myself well. So there's there used to be a lot of country around here in Western Colorado that you had access to hunt, but as the oil and gas has moved into this area. They've closed off more and more and more public ground, mm. right? So now you so have you physically mass- you have physically seen a change in area that is accessible to public ground hunting in Western Colorado. No doubt about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing that's really had an effect on, and you can talk to anybody in Western Colorado about this. When I was a young man, you know, you could walk up and and knock on a door. And, you know, old rancher Bob would answer the door and you could do a little horse trading with him. Hey, I'd love to be able to come out here and do some hunting. And, you know, I could come out and help with some ranch work or fix some fence or help you buck bales during the haying season. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore, you know. And I, I don't know if that's just that those guys, that old generation is gone or, you know, um, people are concerned with liability these days. But, uh, yeah, it's. Very few doors get knocked on, and re- their answer to you posing the question to hunt ends in a yes. Uh-huh. You so, think it's, yeah. you know, maybe to um, play a little devil's advocate, is are there more people like you leasing up private ground that the, the guys that you're knocking on the doors have already sort of, they've really leased it to someone? It's a great question. I know that I'll just, I guess, Speaking from my own experience, I'm a little, I don't, I, you know, I get a lot of folks asking me if I, they can hunt my property and I'm very selective in who I allow. If they want to hunt a cow elk or, or whatever, if I know them, 
Um, it's usually a yes. If I don't know them, it's usually a no. And a lot mm-hmm. of it has to do with liability, man. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a fact of life these days. Would you allow a South African that uh, has been in Mississippi for 20 years that now has moved to Tennessee to come hunt a cow elk? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, buddy. You just give me a holler. We'll, we'll figure it out. But you know what I mean? I mean, as a commercial oh, no, outfitter. You're, dude, the liability thing is monstrous. Yeah, it's so scary. Because it doesn't matter. Like Today's day and age is all about freaking lawsuits and legal action for fucking nothing. Excuse my language. No, you're exactly right. And a guy falls down on your property or gets hung up in some bob wire that you didn't know was down because I heard elk went through it. It's ridiculous. And I haven't, knock on wood, dealt with any of those type of experiences thus far. But I, I... I know outfitters, right? And I know guides, and I hear these just crazy stories of just that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we had a guy out, and, you know, he signed all the liability waivers. We're going to be on a horse, and we're riding 20 miles in, yada, yada, and falls off the horse, and, you know, they pack him out of there, and two weeks later, he gets a, they get a, they get a certified letter from the guy's attorney because uh, he feels that the saddle wasn't, fit right or you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. crazy so you just got to be careful but i back to your original question i think that there is less accessibility to land there's no doubt about it that i there are areas that i used to predator hunt before i had leased land that you can no longer go on because these oil companies have sewed it up and they don't own it they've just leased it through the blm and that's our land and you can't access it anymore because these pipelines fall under, you know, DOT regulations because they cross state lines and they've got wells. And I understand the safety concerns of, on their p- part of the deal, but, uh, but the, the end result is less land for people to go out and hunt on. And easy land, right? There's still land in Colorado that you can hunt, brother. I'm 52 years old. I'm in great shape. But I can't hunt the ground that I hunted when I was 21 years old. No way. You know, mm-hmm. much less, you know, you talk to a guy, I can throw, I can throw a white tail on my back and carry that dude out and never blink an eye. Most guys think about elk hunting and there's a lot of nostalgia that goes with it. Well, when you walk up to that beast laying on the side of yeah. a mountain, yeah, there's a big difference between harvesting that animal in the right area and needing to bring in a skillet and a knife and fork and eating him there. <laughs> oh man, you know it's I mean? amazing. Dude, I, um, I was fortunate enough to kill a cow elk in Southern Colorado in November last year. And mm-hmm. luckily we were 400 yards off the road. And when I went up to that animal, once we had gutted her and we took her back and weighed her, she was 385. And I was like, <laughs> like a, like a hind leg. Yeah. Like is 80 pounds, right? It's like the, it's, you can't, don't, you, there's nothing else that goes on your back except that. Oh, I know. It's awesome, isn't it? You know, I got a funny little story, a little side road here. Bo had, uh, he had moved deer and stuff like that growing up around hunting with his grandpa and, and all that jazz. Well, when he first came out here two years ago and our purpose was to get him his first elk, I shot a buck. Um, I don't remember if it was the first or second day of season getting it. We just got it out of the way. I mean, he, that dude is strong. That is that boy is so strong. He grabbed my 
deer and threw it in the back of the truck. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's all pumped up. He's jazzed about, I can't wait to get my hands on an elk. Man, I can't wait to see how big these things are. And um, so we shoot this elk, right? And he drops this thing and we walk over there. And I'll never forget the look on his face. First and foremost, he was just thanking God for the harvest, right? And just all of, all of that goes into that. But I'll never forget, you know, this big old strong guy that threw a deer in the back of my truck two days before that. He goes to grab all the back of this bull to get it over on his back to gut it. And he was like, mm. Yeah, calm movement. Mm. <laughs> it was awesome. They're just, you can't get your head around it until you're right up on one, huh? Tell me about, uh, Carl, tell me a little bit about experience over time. You've talked to me a little bit about public land access. What's your experience over time when it comes to predators? What are, what's the landscape looking like 20 years ago to today? Um, lots more coyotes than there, than there, than there was. And uh, I would put predators in the context of um, skunks and coons as well, right? Uh, or throw, I'd throw those in the mix. Yep, um, yep. You have turkeys we don't, on your property. We don't have... Yeah, all of that stuff. Okay. And we don't have the, you know, they outlawed trapping, leg hole trapping in Colorado in 97. And everything's rolled over into cage trapping, which a guy can be fairly effective at, but the numbers have, have just exploded. And I think there, a lot had to do with trapping going away. And I, I again, I'll go back to this. I just, I don't think there's as many people in Western Colorado that are into that as there used to be. Our, the folks that live here, um, they're, how do you, I don't want to sound like a knucklehead. It's just a different, people are into different things now in Western Colorado. We have had, there's a lot of people moving from a lot of big cities into Western Colorado now. It's cheap. The land's cheap. The housing's cheap, unless you're in Aspen or Glenwood mm -hmm. Springs. So, it's a different kind of people that live here now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's insane the amount of coyotes that are around here. And it's definitely had no, it's had an effect on our, uh, on our deer population. Uh, you know, one of my pieces of property that we, um, we run our upland game herd hunts on, uh, is along the Colorado river. And it's incredible how many, um, I think we found four, four deer just this just this season that the coyotes have drugged down and that's on my little patch of the world right mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's incredible the amount of coyotes and the and the, the number of coyotes that are in packs you hear howling at night and again i i'm a predator hunting machine but these coyotes they're not dumb if you've ever hunted coyotes they're they're pretty smart right mm -hmm. uh, and they they have a tendency to stick to these big old chunks of private ground that are owned by, you know, these big landowners as well as, uh, as these oil companies, which is where a lot of the deer and elk end up finding themselves throughout the course of the year. And yeah, they're just going unchecked. So it's kind of a weird deal. What's what going about, on in Western Colorado right now? What about mountain lions and bears? Mountain lions, uh, just, and, and you know, the stories of mountain lions, they're highly efficient on the, the kill ratio with deer that's their their primary focus and uh our bear population is has exploded um 
it's actually the Division of Wildlife is very careful on the numbers that they put out to the public, um, right? Because they've, they've, they're playing bureaucracy and biology, and both the mm -hmm. time bureaucracies win and out. Mm -hmm. um, but they, there's a lot, you see, um, you see the numbers um, behind the scenes talking to the Division of Wildlife guys and the local game wardens of how many of these bears are having to trap and um, they tag them. Once you put one, very, very rarely do you put a tag in a bear's ear and that's the only one he gets. He's usually heading to, a, um, you know, somebody from the Division of Wildlife having to put him down or a landowner. But yeah, the, mm -hmm. I, I'll tell you this. I live along the Colorado River and I've killed 14 bear in the last 20 years. Jeez. So if that gives you any kind of an and I'm not a big bear hunter, it just works out. They're they all along the Colorado River corridor in this in uh, um, in the fall of the year, and I think some of that has to do with uh, the drought that we've had. Um, we've been having these funny little springs where we get these late season frosts that kill all the the high mountain berries. So these the you know come September when they're trying to put the fat on, they all end up down in the and the agricultural crops in Grand Junction, if you can believe it, and then feeding on what they can wrap a lip around down here on the Colorado River where, where there's water, you know? Mm -hmm. so, Is there a and spring no and a fall bear anymore. season in Colorado? No. No, sir. No spring bear hunting. And there's no, you can't bait bears. And, uh, yeah, so you've got fall bear hunting, which can only be done in, a, in either a, an ambush style of a setting or spot and stalk. That's it. That, that's your options. Hmm. Sounds like Washington State, man, versus Colorado. Yeah, it's a booger. It's, yeah, and, and like I said, if you don't have a good spot where there's, uh, you know, feed, you're, you're going to you're gonna have a tough time trying to harvest a bear. So they're just, they're blowing up. They're doing well, you know? Well, given my line of questioning, you probably know what the next question is. <laughs> um. How close, because you just mentioned Glenwood Springs. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I, and, I, and I know I've done a video on this, so forgive me. I know there's going to be two release locations for wolves starting Reverse. in December. I want to say one was between Glenwood Springs and Gunnison, and one between Vale and, gosh, I may be messing this up. So, Sorry, you're close. You're, you're there. One's up by Vale, and the other's down by Gunnison. So, That's it. And uh, it's... Uh, and how far are those from you? Vale is two hours okay. on the highway. 30 miles? And, uh, oh, no, no, no. A long I'd, way. Say it's, I'd say it's probably uh, about 100 miles. Okay. So, yeah, they'll be here in a couple of years. Um, Gunnison's a bit further. Um, I don't know the, the distance, but it's... It's three, four hours down the road from here, and uh, there's a lot of mountain ranges between here and there to sort of hold them at bay for a while. But the the the, the ones they're going to dump up the river, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do well. Why do you say that? Well, there's just a you're, they're dumping them right in uh, right on the outskirts of the largest population of elk in North America. No, where's that? That's the Estes Park. No. Yep. Well, and and, yep. and and more so into that Eagle County, breaking down in here to Garfield County, um, into Rio Blanco County, up around 
every you know the meeker area the flat tops wilderness the coffee pot deep lake all that stuff that starts in summit county which is vale and then runs west north northwest as well as southwest down the entire river cor- the colorado river corridor mm-hmm. yep it's um it's kind of an interesting subject um where do you stand? Look, Where do you stand, Carl, with wolves on the landscape? I, you know what? Here's the deal for me. I, it's a pretty touchy subject, and there's so much information out there. And I've spent I've spent a bit of time reading both sides of the the argument. And there's already wolves here. Yep. Right. Yeah, and we've podcasted with uh, a number of times with Dave Gittleson, who's the rancher okay. who got hit the first for the, with the first wolf attack. Okay, so they're they're here. Why am I spending my tax dollars to bring in more? If they're here and they're doing okay, and you guys are all about, you know, this, this the other side of the coin is all about letting nature take its course, well, then, then let's just let them do their thing. And let the animals that they're eating have time to micro-evolve, if you will, do that type of predation, right? Hmm. They're talking about trapping 10 to 15 wolves. I think it's 10 to 15 wolves a year from Idaho, Montana, and or Wyoming, and bringing them here. So they're trapping wolves that know how to hunt, right? Mm-hmm. These things are, they're at the top of their game, and they're going to dump them in these herds of elk that have no idea what in the heck a wolf is. And it's going to be, um, well, it's, you know, even the guys that are for wolves will tell you of the several stories they know of, of wolves just decimating the the elk herds until the elk figured out they need to keep moving they need to calve differently and all these things right so it's going to be uh i i don't know i don't um i don't care for it for two reasons one i don't see why we need to there's more important things we could be spending that money on in this state um and secondly i think that it was, I said this earlier, I can't stand bureaucracy over biology. Mm. And it won by less than two, a 2% margin or something like that. Yeah, it's like it was 1.9%. I think it was like 69,000 votes or something like that. Yeah, it's total bullshit. And the folks, and you look at the counties that voted for it, they're, they're in, in the Aspen Valley or the Vale Valley, or they're all the folks in Denver. And they don't. And listen, man, no offense to those guys. If they, if they saw one video of a pack of wolves running through calving grounds of elk, they'd have changed their vote, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's not a Walt Disney film. And, uh, you know, nature a, is, a, is a real booger. And I just think it's going to have not just the ramifications of affecting our tax dollars to our elk hunting dollars, but there is... You know, we lived in Montana for a couple of years. My wife and I, we sold some, we got out of some businesses a few years back and we took a break and I listened to the locals in Montana talk about the effects of the wolf and uh, it's just a, it's a big old quagmire. And I'm very careful of what I say about it because I am an outfitter and I have to deal with the division of wildlife and you have a governor that, um, you know, those guys that up the head there the guys the commissioners of the division of wildlife those aren't elected officials those guys are appointed by the governor of the state right 
You know what I mean? So, right? Everybody in that uh, that office, buddy, is on the same baseball team. Yeah, and they're so, changing now. The commission obviously is switching. There's a lot of different faces and names in the commission now, and um, it's interesting. Like, obviously, Wolves is you know it's out of the bag. Nothing we can do about it. I'm from my perspective, I'm of the of, of the opinion, and Cody's of the same opinion that I want to see Wolves on the landscape. Like, I think it'd be pretty darn cool to be able to hunt with wolves on the landscape. But we're okay. also very much of the same opinion when it comes to they require management, just like any other animal on the landscape that is hunted requires management, right? And you understand in Colorado, the way they've got it standing currently is there's no provision when they oh, get 100%. to a certain number. Yeah, there's 100%. no lethal control. No, it's, it's a may, not a will. In phase four of the wolf management plan. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yep. bad thing, right? Yeah. And I, I would uh, put some money on it right now that the legislative session of 24, they will propose to the commission one more time to outlaw bobcat and mountain lion hunting in the state of Colorado. Mark my words. Oh, I have no... Yeah, they, they've tried it a few times with the... Well, they didn't have the commission. They didn't have the commission. Like last year, it was yes, eleven sir. to one. They 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 balked at it and they pushed it back. They don't have to go ballot anymore because the commission has changed now. And so wow. in twenty twenty four, they're going to try it again. But we'll be ready. We've got a a wonderful film called Lionheart coming that's going to really express the true heart of a lion houndsman and their relationship with their dogs. We've uh-huh. got some amazing video footage. We've got some amazing interviews. We're going to have amazing film. It'll be done and ready, and we will, we will go on a, a film tour of Colorado. Well, I got, a qu- I got a question for you. No, this is my podcast. You're not allowed any no, questions. No, Come on, you, Carl. You, 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 jumped out, you jumped out there and said you were for the you, – you, you're all about – what is it that excites you about you, – you said something you want to hunt alongside. You, you don't mind having the wolves out there hunting in the same areas you hunt or something like that. Yeah. What is it that, what is it that you think is going to be beneficial – about having wolves back in the landscape. And I'm not saying I, 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 I don't really know where I stand on this whole wolf yeah, thing yeah. yet. Yeah, I'm an ecologist by training. And to okay. me, having an alpha predator on the landscape is almost the full circle of the landscape. It's the full circle of the ecosystem. It's the full fulfillment of biodiversity. And yes, that humans are still intricately part of the landscape. Humans are intricately part of the alpha predator cycle. That's who we are as humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that perspective, that's why I like wolves on the landscape, because mm-hmm. most landscapes have had the alpha predator removed from it, number one. Mm-hmm. Number mm-hmm. two, it goes maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, philosophical or sort of grinds into our DNA and our human nature that we as humans, there's a book that I always quote. It's called uh, the Monster. Of, it's called Monster of God by David okay. Guaman. Q U A M M E N, and it's all about alpha predators in this world: Siberian tigers, saltwater crocodiles, uh, brown bears in the Carpathian Mountains of Romania, wolves, and that hmm. there's it. It sort of outlines why there's this deep affinity for these alpha predators, and let's just use wolves as an example that. You've got on one end of the spectrum people who see themselves in the wolves. They, they look at their eyes. 
they can see this connection to them as an alpha predator. And that's the sort of cuddly, protect wolves. I'm a part of the wolf. The wolf is a part of me kind of crowd. And then you have these guys oh. on, right on the other end, which are see a wolf as, a, as competitive. They see it as competition because you, Carl, me, Robbie, are alpha predators too. And we're going after the same thing. And inherently, there is always sort of tribalistically go back in our DNA a competition between who we are as humans and these big alpha predators. And so mm -hmm. to me, you marry those two things together. It almost like that's why I said I, I want to have wolves on the landscape. I want to be able to interact with them. I want to compete against them, quote unquote. But I also understand ecologically. You can't just let them run rampant, right? And that we've got a human-dominated landscape. We've got human fingerprints on the landscape. We've got highways cutting off connectivity. We've got highways and roads and bridges and fences that are um, cutting off escape routes. All of those things happen on the landscape. So that requires thank us you for to have a thank you for bringing, fingerprint. That, nope, that's what I wanted to hear you say. And I think you and I, to some degree are on the same playing field there. That's my, I think my biggest concern with the wolves is our fingerprint yeah. in the landscape. Now we've, yeah. we've cut it up so much. We've taken so much of their winter range away because that's the best place to build a subdivision. Um, and, uh, for the elk and, uh, and the deer. So that's my only concern is that if it there, I know, you know, they're going to do well. They've done well in my Montana and Idaho. Our, um, our landscape is quite a bit different than Montana and Idaho. We have a lot more badland country here. We don't have those, we don't have a lot of big river basins, right? You've got mm -hmm. the really three big runs of rivers through here. So the, although we have these massive elk herds, there's not a lot of diversity for they, for them to really do well in. So if, when you put these wolves in there, they don't have a lot of areas they can squirt out into anymore. Hmm. So that's yeah. a big concern of mine. So, and then obviously hoping that they can find some common ground on this, this lethal control aspect of managing the wolves. I don't know that I necessarily have a problem with it. I think one of the biggest things that I have found talking to people that are for the wolves coming in is there's so much being pushed. One of their, I guess, let me take a step back. One of their arguments, sir, is that when they get on social media, and I hate this as an older guy, it's the better than the Joneses kind of a thing. There's so many videos anymore of these big giant bulls and big giant bucks getting harvested and guys trying to shoot stuff at however many hundreds and, you know, a thousand yards or throwing arrows at 80 to 100 yards and all this stuff and then turning back around and saying, hey, we don't want wolves in here. Uh, because we want the sustainability of hunting for the harvest and all this, and 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 a lot of a lot of hunters are projecting this. Just it's all about the horns, man. And I'm just gonna tell you this: uh, I'm I'm a bow hunter. Um, I don't say that out loud because I'm pretty hard on bow hunters. Because <laughs> I find a lot of injured animals from bow hunters, and we just. I think we could do a better job uh, as hunters portraying what it is we're about and what it is that we're trying to accomplish, not just from the 
the harvest side of things, but from the conservation side of things um, and how important it is for us to see deer and elk in the landscape and all that other stuff. Because I just think that this social media has brought a, I don't know, I, I have a tough time with it, man. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely given the folks that are anti-hunting that want, because here's the deal, make no mistake. You know, I love what you said and why you want wolves to come into the, the picture again. But there's a lot of people that want wolves to come back because they don't want hunting anymore. And mm-hmm. they would like to see that alpha predator mm-hmm. take that place, right? And get rid of hunting and those, what they see as unethical types of harvest, as well as, um, there's, I've, I have had folks tell me that they'd like to see the wolves take over and get rid of hunters because they see... A lot of hunters argue my Second Amendment right is uh, it for, it's for hunting, which it, it's not. But mm-hmm. uh, so there's there's a lot more to this than just, uh, you know, having an alpha predator back in the landscape, whether you're for them as a hunter or against them as a hunter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally agree. Well, you just uh, captured exactly why we we have Blood Origins and why we built Blood Origins is that social media is not going away. Social media is only going to get more and more dominant, unfortunately. And if that is the situation we live in, then we need to put as big of a positive footstep forward as we possibly can that emphasizes the conservation elements of hunting, emphasizes the benefits and impacts to people and wildlife, and showcases hunters in a different narrative that that they're not just you know going out there for the quote-unquote horns, which unfortunately a lot of guys are you know and so we just have to be honest about it and say okay yes there's trophy hunting everywhere okay it's not just an africa thing it's a pervasive thing worldwide Yes, okay i cannot change the motivation of the individual when he decides he wants to be a trophy hunter however what i can do what blood origins can do is we can change the content that is being put out and grow our voice and grow up that form and, and sway influence people to do the same, which is, hey, show that beautiful, you know, elk tenderloin that you ate instead of yes, the, the horns, because you didn't get to eat the horns, did you? Mm-hmm. Number one. Two. Yes, sir. They did make you a, donate they make a half soup, that, right? Yeah. Did you, did you donate those meats to the local food shelter or gave it to your neighbors or invited your neighbors over for a meal? Yes, sir. I bet you you did, but you never told anyone about it. Yeah. No, when last did I you go to that. the grocery store? When last did you go to the grocery store, Carl, and buy 10 ribeyes and then call the neighbors up and say, hey, I've got some free ribeyes here. You want to come get them? <laughs> yeah. I understand. That's why I, on a, I'm not, blood, you know, my, my small little footprint here, I've taught hunters education for 10 years, and that's my way of, of, explaining what you just said to the young generation that just keeps coming through the door wanting mm-hmm. to get their hunter education license right that, mm-hmm. that card mm-hmm. and talking to them about the real importance of hunting um just from a again from a conservation standpoint uh to a, a to the the real down and dirty sustenance side of it how beneficial that can be for 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 a family especially in today's economy right so yeah, I love 100%. what you're doing. I think it's great, and it it definitely takes it takes a lot of horsepower to get that out anymore, right? Because uh, big horns get a lot of clicks, man. Hundred percent. 
100%. Carl Michael Metloff, when, if somebody's interested in coming hunting with you in Colorado, how can they find you, get a hold of you? Um, they can message us on our Instagram account at 7T Outfitters. And uh, we're about booked up. I think Bo just got us. Bo's involved with the company. He's an owner in the in the outfitting company. He just, I think we've got two more mule deer, two more spots for for mule deer hunts in the in the third season. Um, and then we'll be booked up. But yeah, it'd be great if we could get some more, couple more guys out and get them in part of the part of the crew out here in Colorado. So, and that is seven T, like T, not seven T spelt out, but seven T outfitters. Yes, sir. The number seven and T is in Tom Outfitters. Perfecto. Perfecto. Well, check them out, guys. Check out 70 Outfitters on Instagram. Uh, you can probably Google 70 Outfitters and find a website and see what Carl Absolutely. Michael yeah. Metcalf does. Uh, any final words? No, I appreciate what you're doing and thank you for uh, thank you for this time to visit and, and allowing me to see what you're about. Uh, I, I, Bo told me quite a bit about it and I've done some done some reading it's a busy time of year for us trying to finish up bird season but uh i appreciate you and i appreciate your efforts and and no, uh, i wish welcome. you all the best sir you're welcome carl michael metcalf uh reading in the digital sense is called stalking so don't worry about it okay <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> see you bud well that's it for today appreciate you listening as always Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.